Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive Podcast. It's me, Chris Howard, back again. Thank you very much for listening. Wonderful listener. Hope you are enjoying what you are doing, where you are doing it, when you are doing it. Well, you're obviously listening to this podcast, so I hope you're going to enjoy this podcast. I am going to enjoy this podcast because it's a topic which we've talked about quite a lot at Lace Partners. When we released our HR on the Offensive podcast in, not podcast, the actual white paper that we did, HR on the Offensive, in 2019, one of the areas that we looked at was line manager capability. And when I got a call from the wonderful Kat Bernardes, who works here at Lace and is here for the first time on the podcast, being my partner in crime. She said, I want to do a podcast with somebody and I want to do it on line manager capability. And I said straight away, yes, let's do it. Kat, how are you doing? You all right? I'm good. Thanks, Chris. Nice to be here. Very excited to have my first podcast. First, but not the last, I'm sure, because I will be dragging you on. Kat has worked <laughs> for Lace for some time, and this is the first time I've got her on. So I'll be getting her on much more, because once you've done the first one and you've broken that seal, it's away you go. So Kat, shall we introduce our guest rather than me just waffle on all day? Let's do that. Let's do that. It's Mitch Lassman, who works at Diageo. He's the director of employee experience. Mitch, how are you doing? Fantastic, Chris. Thank you for the intro. And Kat, nice to see you. Yeah, me too. It's great to have you on. It's really, really good to talk about line manager capability. What I wanted to do is just kind of use this as your soapbox, if that's all right today, Mitch. So we're going to talk about a few bits and bobs. We've got a few questions for you that we want to ask. But before we kick off, it's probably worth doing a little bit of a who are you? What do you do? And a little bit about Diageo as well. I'm sure many people know about Diageo and the business, but just for simplicity and transparency, if you can just let everybody know who you are, what you do, and a little bit about Diageo, please. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I am a father to three wonderful children and a husband, but I'm also an employee experience evangelist. My kids tell their friends that my job is to make people happy and make people happy at work. And you know what? I love the simplicity of that. So I tell people my job is to make people happy at work. And I should also add that I'm also a people manager as well, because I know we obviously get into that conversation. And you're quite right. Um, my role is I am the director of employee experience and HR transformation at Diageo. And I feel really passionate and proud to be in the position I'm in. And hopefully I can share some thoughts and my perspective on line manager capability through this pod. But a little bit about Diageo, because I'm sure many people may have heard of Diageo, but you'll be much more familiar with the brands that we have. So we essentially are a world-class leader in beverage alcohol, and we've got over 200 brands. So many of them you'll know, Johnny Walker, Tankery, Guinness, Smirnoff, Bailey's, Don Julio, Seedlip, I can go on and on and on. Um, but we've got amazing brands. We operate in 180 countries and we have around 28,000 people. And I think what we're really proud about is our performance ambition. And that is around striving to be the best performing, most trusted and respected consumer products, goods company in the world. And, and our purpose is really around celebrating life every day, everywhere, which I think is absolutely intrinsic to how our employees feel about Diageo, but also our stakeholders as well uh, and how we're perceived. So 
hopefully that helps a little bit around who we are and what we do. Thanks, Mitch. And I I love the word, you know, evangelist and, and just thinking about making people happy. And I think um, it's certainly the what I've spent the last few years really focusing on is people experience and how can you make people turn up to work and want to turn up to work and, and be happy and fulfilled in what they do. Obviously, over the last few years, it's become even more important as we've moved into a more sort of virtual working space post the pandemic. But why do you think that line manager capability is so important in sort of creating that great experience for our employees? I think, Kat, it's never been more critical. And I remember, and you'll know this as well, you know, over about 10 years ago, we had to educate and sell the importance of people experience, but also, you know, the real the importance of building and equipping our line managers with the, the skills, the tools and the capabilities to really ensure that they are effective leaders. But now, whilst we were previously banging on the door, I think the door is now wide open for us to talk. And, you know, it's the most talked about business imperative, like not only in the boardroom, but, but throughout our companies. And you're absolutely right. I think in this post-pandemic fragmentic and uncertain world and you know one especially at the moment where we see record levels of burnout amongst our people we see high and accelerated rates of attrition you know the geopolitical tensions that are occurring i think the experience of our people is is absolutely paramount and with that you know organizations and leaders and managers within our organizations have I would say more than ever, a critical role to really protect, nurture and elevate that people experience in, in the face of such turbulence. So I think line manager capability more than ever is absolutely critical. And I know we'll talk a bit more about that as, as we go through, but I think it, it's it's really front and centre of conversations, not only in the boardroom, but through com- through organisations at this moment in time. Yeah, it really is. And what I, what I find fascinating about this topic is how it has changed and evolved, particularly if you think about pandemic as well. Like one of the questions that I'd like to ask you is around, you know, how do you describe, you know, good people managers? But I think there's something in there around how that's also shifted between what what does a good people manager look like four or five years ago when everyone's going into the office and you've got what does a good people manager look like now because you've got to deal with things like hybrid and dealing with two different types of scenario like the in-office people management side and the hybrid side as well so general question doing a bit of waffling should probably just ask you that question which is how would you describe good people managers chris i think there's there's clearly a distinction between what a good and bad people manager is. But I also equally see that there's a real distinction between what a good and great people manager is. And I think good people managers are, are, are you know, are very common. I think they, they have all very good intentions. And, and it's what I, I, I think they are folks who display what I call the five C's. And that's around confidence, credibility, competence, candor and care. And a lot of people have those and they are effective people managers. But I think what we're moving into now, I think, is the expectation on really ensuring that we're building great people managers. So great people managers, for me, are folks who display all of those traits, but they go further, right? They they lead. They're leaders. They're not managers. And what I mean by that is great leaders become real mentors versus being managers. So they, they go above and beyond, so they really connect on a human level with their employees. So they seek to really understand, learn and embrace their personal lives, right? Not just their professional lives. And, yeah. and for me as well, real the, the quality that I always see in great leaders is not only showing exceptional empathy and connection, but above all, they unlock somebody's superpowers. And yeah. by that, what I mean is they inspire, they empower, and they unlock potential and growth in individuals and, and really unleash someone's 
unique genius, if you like, and they celebrate it and allow it to flourish. And, and they are the ones who are really great, uh, great people managers, great leaders, great mentors. And they're also great storytellers. And I, I, and I mean that in terms of not the stories that they tell, but the stories that they help their others, their individuals and their directs write. And I think that's really effective. And I'm seeing, you know, a lot of emphasis on how do folks be equipped with those skills to become effective, great people managers. And, you know, I think if I look at them from an individual's perspective, you know, we all want to be seen, we want to be heard, we want to be understood, we want to be valued, we want to be recognised. And great leaders have this this real innate ability to enable that. And they're always fighting their people's corners through the good times, the bad times, continuously and consistently advocating and coaching. And I think that for me is a real distinction between great people managers and good people managers. That's really good. And just linked to that, I've got a question for both of you, actually. And I don't mind who answers this one first, because I was just, as you were saying that, Mitch, I was just thinking about some of those traits. You're talking about the empathy, you know, good storytellers, things like that. And I thought to myself, can you actually train that, though? Or is that just something that is within an individual? It's just their natural gift. I don't know who... I don't know who wants to have a go at answering that one first. Go on, Kat, you have a go. Kat's po- <laughs> for the benefit of those listening audio, and this is an audio platform, Kat is pointing at herself saying, me, 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 me first. <laughs> Only because it's really, we've been having conversations with another client recently about this whole this whole concept of actually whether everybody should be a people manager. You sort of progress up an organisation in roles and in your career And often people become managers who aren't there for their expertise, their technical expertise, but not necessarily because they are great leaders, because they are great people managers. And I'm not personally sure that everybody wants to be either. Some people enjoy doing the technical job and and doing a fantastic job at what they do, but they don't necessarily want to lead people and be that inspirational person you described, Mitch. So for me, I'm, I'm not sure whether we should be training and pushing absolutely every manager out there to play that role Um, and we've been having some interesting conversations around whether there's a place for a people manager versus a technical manager or maybe you have a combination of both in organizations to sort of fulfill that role so it really resonated when you were talking about that that it may not be something you can truly train and that you should encourage the people who are a bit more naturally good at doing that and being the the inspirational leader and the storyteller to support their team and as you said put them at the front that maybe we should be harnessing that in a different way to how just assuming every manager should be a good people manager what do you think, Mitch? 100% agree with you, Kat. And I think you're absolutely right that we shouldn't be pushing everybody. I think for me, great people managers do have an innate ability. They have a general or a genuine empathy for people and they have they really look to inspire, coach and get the best out of people. But you're absolutely right. We should also be recognising and also celebrating folks who want to be individual contributors and progress their careers to be ICs and not necessarily people managers. And you're absolutely right. I'm seeing more and more hybrid between the two. But I think going back to your question, Chris, I think it's really a combination. I think Yes, they have that innate ability, but it's also, effect, you know, it's really important that line managers get that regular coaching and counselling themselves to, to equip them with the skills. And particularly, I can talk for what we're doing at Diageo at the moment around equipping with our managers with skills and training around uh, how to be effective coaches, how to build their psychological safety acumen and skills and knowledge. And I think you've got to be able to do that. But also we've seen that during the pandemic as well, where we have to be able to equip our managers with the right skills at the right time to deal with 
circumstances, whether it's at the moment with a cost of living crisis, whether it's previously with obviously pandemic and how can we support our employees with the welfare to support with vaccinations and being able to care for and support their role as caregivers. So I think there is a degree of training and tooling that we could equip our managers with. But I also feel that great managers want to be great managers. There's their innate ability that they want to be able to coach and counsel their individuals to thrive and be the best they can be. What's interesting in what you just talked about around needing to be more agile and how we provide training, though, to managers on topics that are are important at that point in time, like the cost of living, like burnout and anxiety and and well-being. Those are things that have really come to the fore relatively recently. And how do we as HR or, or a learning function ensure we have that agility to react quickly so that we can equip them in the moment and not you know, six months down the line once that's been a challenge and everyone's muddled through on their own. I think that's a, that's a really good challenge. And I think that's the role that HR should be looking to play. So I think I think there's a couple of things in that. So firstly, it's it's making sure we're firstly getting the selection around our people managers right, because we're talking about implications for people's personal lives here. So we have to make sure firstly we're selecting and we're getting the right people managers who, as we just previously mentioned, want to be people managers, want to lead, want to really nurture individuals and care for them on a personal level and show that right level of empathy. But that, but then from an HR perspective, we need to be equipping our managers with the right support, as you say, at the right time as well. And I think the research tells us that we're not doing an effective job in that regard. Many managers will say, that yes, my organisation has a management development programme, but actually it's not translating into managers actually feeling that they're prepared for and supporting their their individuals. So I think there's a need for a better investment. And I think HR has a critical role to play in that, uh, to ensure that we're we're really ensuring that our managers have proactive support and guidance and tooling uh, around that. And I just, I don't think we've quite got that balance right yet. And I think that's where the investment's really needed to ensure that those mechanisms are in place, that we can really equip our managers to be effective right from the get-go and playing on the front foot versus playing in defense. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. And just linking to that, and let's look from a, we obviously talked a little bit from a Diageo perspective, but you're obviously a HR practitioner and you see what's good that's out there in the marketplace. So just from your perspective, if when you look out at other businesses, are there any businesses that you look at, any organisations that you think, actually, they're doing it really well in terms of developing out their people manage, management capabilities? Or any that you've seen that you'd kind of, I don't want to say benchmark, but look at and think, these guys are doing a good job here. I think for me, I, I've seen good and I've seen bad, right? One of my employers who I've worked with or worked for, but I've seen organizations really be constrained by their organizational structure and their, and their work design. And by that, what I mean is if I look at some of the spanner controls and the need to align to the spanner control requirements, I've seen some organizations with one manager and 32 direct reports. Wow. 32 direct reports. I mean, what? It's, it's, it's preposterous. It's a full-time job just to be a people manager in that scenario, right? Correct. And I think if we talk about that, then actually their role isn't the people manager. It's it's a technical manager, potentially, right? Managing operations. Mm-hmm. You can't be fully invested and committed to do that. So I think that's a really good example of, of not what to do and what really bad practice is. And I'm not advocating that that's common, but that's clearly an example of organizations being really constrained 
by spanner control requirements and the way we've just organizationally structured ourselves. So I think that's really bad. But equally, I think there's some really good examples of, of good practice. And I'll plug Accenture here because Kat and I were both obviously former Accenture. And I think Accenture many, many years ago have a career counselor model, which I think was really effective and kind of before its time, if you like, really focusing on having some dedicated capacity to really focus on people management. And there was a real distinction between the career counselor not being a line manager of their direct, you know, career counselees, but actually being somebody independent, somebody senior who has that wisdom, that experience that really provides that coaching and counselling for an individual. And I think that model really worked. And, you know, I can also say from my personal experience, you know, those career counsellors that I had during my time at Accenture, and I left Accenture about six years ago now, still continue to be my strongest advocates and my mentors. And I reach out to a couple of them already on a regular basis to continue that career counsellor conversation. And they are mentors for me. And I think that model works really, really well. And what I'm also seeing now in some organisations are really trialling and experimenting, Kat, to your point earlier, around that distinction between people management and technical management. So I'm seeing organisations bringing in coaches who are specifically dedicated as a full-time role to be coaches for people. They don't have any delivery responsibilities, but they're purely focused on being coaches. And I'm a real advocate for that because you see in most organizations, you know, we have executive coaches for the most senior level individuals within organizations, but why can't we disseminate that across the organization? And actually coaching and counseling is really needed for folks junior and and mid-levels of our careers. So I think having that model, and I think I'm seeing a lot of more organizations, especially given the turbulence that we've just mentioned at the start of this pod, really doubling down on ensuring that we're providing these coaches who can really support our people during these turbulent times that we have at the moment. And I I think that's also really important for one of the biggest challenges that whenever I'm talking about line manager capability with clients is around time and time being time poor, no time to do it. When you talk about examples where somebody's got 32 direct line reports, it becomes almost impossible. Do you think time is, is, is that a big challenge or is it a bit of a myth and an excuse? It sounds like it probably is real from what we've been talking about, but is it just an excuse for people who don't particularly want to do people management? You know, Kat, I, I, I do think it's a bit of both. Everybody's busy. It's the world we live in. And actually, a mentor of mine once told me that busyness is a disease. And I agree with that. And I think there is a time where people reference that as an excuse. But I think there's a couple of thoughts on this. So most of the time, I think absolutely right, it is a reality. Time is a constraint. And I think time is a constraint because we're overloading our managers and we're overloading our people with too much responsibility. And actually much of which I've seen is is largely administrative. And again, going back to my point, I think it's a product of the organizational structures and the way we've designed work. So I gave that example of the 32 direct reports, but I think the call to action for me, and we're doing this at Diageo as well, is, is really doubling down on what we call radical liberation and radically liberating managers' time. Yeah. And so that they can be empowered to be effective managers and ensuring that they really do have that appropriate time that they could dedicate to really effectively managing their people. So I think that's a, a cure to this disease of busyness to one respect. But then equally, what I would also say is that there's also an ownership within managers and individuals as well. We all ma- we have to be better in terms of managing our time and commitments. And I've seen, you know, examples of people managers, you know, multitasking when they're having conversations with them, their directs and their peers. 
because they're just too busy. I think you've really got to make sure you're allocating the, the time and respective time and being really dedicated to individuals. And again, that's a real construct of, of good people management and great people management as well. So time can never be excused in that regards. But what I would also say is that time is not the only challenge to effectively lead and manage people, right? So not only do we have to address that problem of looking at the way we've designed work and how we've structured organizations, but we also have to equip managers with the right tools, support and training, especially now more than ever, to really ensure that we're equipping our managers to be effective people managers. And it goes back to the point I mentioned earlier around really investment in that respect, because I do think that's lacking in organizations at the moment, which is impacting people managers to manage effectively. What you said earlier really interests me around liberating managers to, to give them more space and time. How do you really do that? I've had so many conversations with clients recently where we know it's a challenge. They know they need to do that, but they just can't see the wood for the trees to figure out how on earth you actually do that. Are you radically changing roles, work? What are you doing to do that? So it sounds really simple, right? But it starts by listening. It starts by actually speaking to our managers and understanding what's consuming their time. And of course, a lot of it will be strategic work that need to be focused on. But nine times out of 10, what I'm hearing is, is a lot around administrative work. So whether they're having to approve leave requests, whether they're having to go in and into a system to do a manual piece of activity, which actually, quite frankly, could be automated. And I'm seeing the cure for a lot of this is actually through automation. Also, I think to your point as well, a lot of it is also looking at where work is allocated. And actually, Managers for me seem to be, if I could use the word like a dumping ground or the phrase a dumping ground, because we don't know where it sits. Should it sit with the HR business partner? Should it sit within HR shared services? Or actually, should it sit with managers? And if we don't know the answer, sometimes I'm seeing that actually managers, and as well as business partners, to be fair, get a lot of that burden. And that's why I think if you take the time to really understand what's consuming their time, what work is important, what's critical, what is largely administrative, you'll see that actually a bulk of their work they do is largely administrative. So I think getting to the root of cause of that, alleviating and, and as we call it, radically liberating their time from those activities, you'll see that there is opportunities to then free them up. And again, allocating the time effectively to pursue their people management capabilities. But equally, you know, I don't want to say that in a blase way. I do also recognize that radically liberating time may not give them the effective time to be effective people managers. And it may be then we are looking at that model that we were referencing earlier in the pod around distinguishing between people managers and technical managers. And I think that's an experiment that needs to be explored as well. And I think that Equally, you've talked about the responsibility HR have to simplify, to take, to automate, to reduce some of that administrative burden on managers. But equally, I think it's important for the business to take ownership of actually what are they asking their their managers to do, recognising that they also have a people management responsibility. So when they're defining what their role is and how much work, what their workload is, that they are given 15, 20% of their time to manage their team and not just assume it's 100% on the role. Oh, HR will automate a bunch of things for us and hopefully reduce that effort. But I think there's also a strong partnership that business and HR need to have together to, to solve this. 100% agree. I think you're absolutely right there as well. And I think that's that comes back to effective work design and job and role design as well, yeah. and making sure that capacity is accounted for to, to allow people managers to be effective people managers. One point I also just wanted to reference as well, and I think going back to the point around investment in the tooling and support needed for people managers, and I've seen this time and time again, 
that we just don't do a good enough job of equipping our people managers to be effective people managers, particularly for new managers who join the organization or new first time managers. Organizations will say that they've got programs in place, but essentially they'll just it'll be a dumping ground. They'll they'll direct them to training materials and courses and expect them to self-serve without really effectively driving the behavioral changes and and equipping them to experiment and actually have some role-play scenarios to be really effective people managers. And it's not a one-time, one-and-done activity, right? As we've just been speaking about, you know, new challenges come up as we've seen, especially at this moment in time, that we need to be refreshing those materials. We need to be refreshing training programs. We need to be investing in new training programs. Programs, and we just don't do that effectively enough. And I think more emphasis needs to be given to new and first-time managers. And I, I see that more and more within organisations that I've been part of and working with. So that's an interesting thing, and it leads on to the question I was just about to ask, actually, which is in 2019, as I said right at the top of the pod, we talked about this and the role that HR can be doing and how more time needs to be dedicated towards you know, developing out that line manager capability. We're kind of talking about it now in 2022. I appreciate the pandemic in the way has, has changed some things. If we're having this conversation in 2025, what do you think might have changed? Do you see more empowerment for line managers? Do you see HR actually stepping up in its role? Do you see line managers being more empowered in 2025, perhaps compared to what we were talking about in 2019? Or do you think this is always going to be a recurring challenge? It's a really good question. I think if we don't act now, we're going to be too late. So I see HR has to take the initiative now to equipping our people managers. And I also think there needs to be a very clear distinction between people management capability and getting the governance around that right. So one thing that I see some organizations do, but not enough, is is ensure that we have mechanisms in place to really evaluate people manager effectiveness. So how are we making sure that actually, okay, they may be a people manager, but we checking in to make sure that they're doing their job effectively. At the Azure, we run line manager pulses. So we get feedback around effectiveness. In previous organizations I work with as well, and, and I want to cite Amazon in particular, they do a great job around having connection scores for managers. So managers can get a real-time feedback around what are they doing well, how their direct reports, obviously within certain thresholds, are feeling about the impact that their managers are making, and also recommendations for managers to improve. And I do think that's going to become, by 2025, more of a routine. So there's going to be much greater governance around that. I do think there's going to be greater empowerment for managers, whether it's people managers also being technical managers at the same time, or whether we have more and more proliferation of just coaches or people management coaches within organizations. I think we'll see more of that by 2025, as well as also that hybrid model we've talked about. And I think given the example that we shared around the career counselor Accenture, I think we'll see more and more of that within organizations as well. But if HR don't act now, I think it's going to be too late. We're going to continue to overburden our people managers. And quite frankly, they'll end up leaving the organizations and we won't be able to replace our great people managers that we have today. That's a fantastic endpoint rally cry there from Mitch. Absolutely loved it. Uh, Mitch, fantastic to get your insights. And I am already thinking that Kat and I are going to have a quick chat afterwards and work out how we can get you on your soapbox for uh, some other topics as well. We won't wait until 2025 to do a, well, this is what we said in 2022. What's changed? We'll get you back on. It's been fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you very much for having me. It's been brilliant. And Kat, first time but not the last. Thanks for being my partner in crime. Come and get, get, get you back on. Yes, please.
Lovely jubbly. Okay. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. We hope you have enjoyed it. You can, of course, get this podcast however you get your podcast, whether that be through Amazon, just by shouting at your Alexa device, as I often do. I shout at my Alexa device and she often gets things wrong. So make sure you very clearly say HR on the offensive podcast and listen in on your Alexa device or any device that you've got. If you've got the, there are other devices available. This isn't a, an Amazon promo plug by any way, shape or form. You can also get us through iTunes. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud. You can also find us and all of our back catalogue on the Lace Partners website. That's www.lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast. And we've got insights and blogs that we write and all sorts of lovely stuff. Once more, Mitch, thanks very much for coming on. Thanks for having me again, guys. Been a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for coming on. Mitch. Thanks, Chris. Uh, and we will see you next time on the HR on the Offensive Podcast. Bye-bye.